Okay. Uh, this sermon is going to conclude our study in the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And to do so right before Thanksgiving, and we'll move into the celebration of the, the Christmas season afterwards. But uh, I wanted to get everything in today, and we'll summarize it today. So if I didn't get everything in, you guys can go dig it up on your own. But the, uh, the thing that I want to focus on, as I introduced last week, uh, there is something happening in our world, and people have difficulty understanding why things are falling apart. And it's because of the Antichrist and the antidote is what we want to focus on today. Is what, what we do, uh, what's our role, what's our response in light of the world. And uh, as we get into this, I wanted to go back over several of those passages uh, that Sue was talking about today. But before I did do, I want to talk about something that's, that the trend is happening in our world about the anti-hero movement. But we have heroes that we look forward to, and I don't want to uh, forget, like last week, there was a very special day when we have Veterans Day, and I don't know if you know this, but we have a guest with us, John McElvary, How, is that right? Uh, John is uh, 39 years young, and uh, he is a veteran. And, but there are other veterans here, and so I wanted to honor you guys. So if you have been in the military service, please stand up. Uh, John, you may stay seated, but if, you, if you've been uh, involved in fighting uh, for this country, uh, we want to honor you. So let me pray for you real quickly. Father, you know what's involved in uh, paying this price to serve, whether it's on the battlefield or behind the battlefield. I think of that man who took his life at the Lincoln Memorial this week because of depression. He committed suicide. Father, there are those among us uh, that really do have impressions left from that that really have left a negative scar. But for these men who've served and, uh, and are with us, we want to honor them. Thank you for protecting them, and thank you for bringing them back. Lord, I do pray that you would protect our country. And so, Father, would you continue to bless these men as they fight different battles here at home. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for your service. There was, in my family, there were uh, two Marines and two army. I didn't have to go to war. I would have, but my number was like 320 something. So, But I know what that thing of battle, my brother came back home. One brother as a Marine did two tours of duty in Vietnam. And uh, the, other, the other brother brought back a thousand slides of the war effort. And we, I remember sitting in that room watching him go out in a reconnaissance mission and sitting in damaged, crashed helicopters as a 19-year-old kid getting in the cockpit and just acting like he was shot. and They were taking pictures of him. They were just kids in one sense, young men, but bodies that could pull a trigger. It was a brutal war. And, and the Vietnam, the Viet Cong were not easy to rout. And so there was, there's always that 60, 1960s, and if you grew up in that era, you know what that was. 
But there's always this contention uh, with what's the right thing to do. Well, we have shifted our focus over the last several decades. And now we used to have an understanding of what was good and right. And, and now we're kind of confused. And there is a, a growing movement, an anti-hero notion that's really embedded itself in our psyche. And it's been growing ever since. That anti-hero runs parallel to the counterculture, question authority, whatever it is, the anti-establishment. And so we used to think in terms of right and wrong. Now we don't think in terms of right and wrong. But there was a hero mindset. And so when you were growing up, did you have a hero? Oh, it may have been from a comic book, a Marvel thing like Superman. But, but the hero, the idea of a hero according to the American Dictionary of the English Language. Let me open this guy up here. It says, a hero, yep, uh, do, 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 here it is. Um, it coincides with elements of noble, grand, a champion, a man of distinguished valor, intrepidity, intrepidity or enterprise in danger. A great, illustrious, or extraordinary person. Uh, in uh, pagan mythology, it was an illustrious person, mortal, but supposedly uh, placed in honor at his death among the gods. Thank you, um, American Dictionary. But I just summarize it this way A hero is somebody to be admired for doing action, brave acts. We have national heroes. We have soldiers we honor. We have firefighters and rescuers and police. We have teachers that are on the front line battle. We have nurses. They have unusual courage, abilities, or superhuman strength. They're admired for the fine qualities and models. They model virtue like a sports figure or a father figure, a mother figure, a teacher you might know, a chief figure in a story. But the key marks of a hero that we understand that goes with that idea is that there's action. He's not passive. He moves. He engages in danger. Uh, there's an achievement, that there's an accomplishment, that he wins. He's victorious. That there's a protective uh, mindset that we're going to protect or defend. And then also... Uh, there's the aspect of caring. They do so because they care about people. They care about causes. But there's another centeredness about this hero that's a servant. Anti-hero uh, is a little different. Uh, they may be admired for doing brave acts. They may be admired. They may have superhuman strengths. They may have qualities, but they're not necessarily given to, for your purposes. They may even achieve things. But what's missing in the anti-hero is you. They don't care about you. You may be a means to an end. And they're all, only doing it for self-serving purposes. Now, we have been inundated with this idea. It's so much in part of our understanding that if you're an anti-hero, we, we applaud we, we support these anti-heroes. You think about the, in the movies and the televisions, you see a number of these on the screen that we like the anti-hero. We like the guy who's going to fight against the system. 
And so the independent guy, the guy who breaks the rules, the guy who doesn't have to follow convention, we, we like to watch these guys destroy. <laughs> and they go after. Not only do we have heroes, but we have heroines. And so in the recent, if you're not involved in the movie industry and you don't understand what people are being infiltrated in their minds, this idea that it's okay to break the law. It's okay to uh, shoot policemen. It's okay to do the things against the rules. So whether it's male or female, all of them are about self-serving purposes to gain power. Not only does it go for an individual, then it moves out into institutions and groups. So when you have people who are radicalized, like the Proud Boys, or when you have people who, who are uh, influencing groups of people in politics, when you have teachers and family members at war with each other, when you have people who are carrying around guns and say, it's all right. We support those. We have a right to. One international writer said it this way, I find the idea of vigilante justice very attractive. I like the idea that the murderer decides that this person has gone too far. And nothing will happen to him unless he or she does something to stop them. We live in a day and age, not only do we have all these anti-establishments and anti-heroes we endorse and support and pay money to go see, but you don't understand, according to this passage, that there's a spirit of darkness. There is a spirit of darkness. Proverbs 29.18 is an interesting verse because it says this, Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. That's the NIV the New American Standard says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Now that vision, that revelation, means that there's a, there is a word and instruction, a, a design, that this is the way to go. But that, if there is no direction, and people don't have that revelation, they will perish, according to King James but he who keepeth the law, happy is he. You see, this is what, what we're up against. That what, whether we recognize it or not, one of the tactics of Satan is to copy everything that Jesus has and then to invert it, to make it dark. Jesus uh, is the word of truth. Satan is the word of falsehood. Uh, Jesus represents the law of the Lord. We love the law of the Lord, but not this one. He's the man of lawlessness. He doesn't want the law. Uh, the dark counterparts uh, we saw last week were called the sons of darkness, the sons of the night. But Christians are called the sons of the day. There's a counter, uh, a, a contrast very clear. There's a true Messiah and there are false prophets. There's uh, true spirituality and false spirituality. There's a true incarnation of grace, which we see in Christ. And then there's an incarnation in the flesh of evil. 
called the Antichrist. There is a coming of the Christ. There's a coming of the Antichrist. There's a kingdom of righteousness and beauty. There's a kingdom of ugliness and darkness. So everything that Christ has, Satan has, except the contrast is that God's word and promises and all that he does is for you. He, he wants you to be the man of glory, the man of honor, the man of respect. He wants you to be like him and all the good things that he is. And yet Satan will take that and turn around and destroy your manhood or your femininity, your womanhood, because he will put you not only against God, but he will put you against yourself. And there's a tension on the inside of a lot of people because they don't have this word. And they are confused and they walk in darkness. It's called, in this passage, the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. And we deal with this. But Jesus said very clearly, Woe to the one. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. The thing is, when wickedness introduces to us the option between good and evil, that wicked person who's introducing us to that destructive side of humanity, and you know what this is. You know what's right to do, and you don't do it. You know what's wrong to do, and you do it. That conflict Paul said in Romans 7. But the idea that the one who introduces to you these opportunities, that guy is going to get a millstone. That guy will be uh, under the judgment of God. In other words, those who are promoting pornography, those who are promoting sex trafficking, those who are, who are obliterating and destroying the humanity, the respectability that you have, God is against Satan is against God. God is against Satan. The flesh is against the spirit. The spirit is against the flesh. And therefore, there is a warfare that there's too many anti-heroes siding on the side of darkness. And yet, what Paul said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth that's like taking a beach ball into the pool. Of the, the ball represents truth and you hold it down. You can't hold, but they suppress it. They put energy to distort and hold it away. The wrath of God is upon them, it says. And so who is behind that work? Without getting dramatic about this, you have to understand that Paul was very much aware of the fact that there is one, and it is not the human is not the person that's the problem. It's the spirit behind the person. Because we saw last week, there is one who is out to destroy the image of God in you. He hates you. He wants to kill you. He will do anything to keep you addicted and deceived. He does not want you in church or in the Bible or in prayer or anything. He'll do everything. And he's clever. He's called the Antichrist. Anti means not only against, but anti also means in the place of. And therefore, he's going to substitute and give you the world so that you worship him. You notice, he never talks about love, though. 
except if it's directed towards his worship. But he'll give you everything you need. And so Paul understands that behind all this confusion and and conflict, that Satan is deceiving. Did God really say Eve? And so that idea of pulling you in ever so subtly. Now, Paul would say, go on to say, that this delusion of unrighteousness that you see in our culture is okay. The idea that you that people think it's okay to riot, it's okay to contest, it's okay to it exists in those who are perishing and following the spirit of lawlessness. What you get is anarchy. What you get is disorder. What you get is chaos. And what you get is a disturbing emptiness that you're being duped and you won't know it until the light's turned on. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they're foolishness to him. They're foolishness to him. And therefore, they reject that message. They reject the message outright. Um, they do not welcome. Look at Second Thess 2.10. They did not welcome the love of the truth so as to be saved. And you have these two things. It's foolishness. They don't want any part of it. And they don't welcome the truth. They're not interested in truth. They're not interested in understanding or exploring or learning or, or questioning. Or, it's not about truth. It's about something else that's not true. It's false. Whatever that is, it serves another purpose. And that was what Paul was afraid was going to take place with these young believers. I am afraid. There's a real legitimate fear and should be legitimate because many people are walking away from the faith without understanding that there is a spirit pushing them away from the faith. And so Paul says, you will be deceived by the serpent's cunning. Your minds be led astray somehow from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul could have written to the Thessalonians. He could have said to them, well, these unbelievers do not welcome the truth. He didn't say that, though. They do not welcome the love of the truth. Not the truth. They don't even want the desire for truth. They have so shut out any option that God would have a voice to speak, they have rejected. And that's the part. They do not have any inclination to believe in the truth. In their minds, there is no motivation to fear, trust, or love God. And therefore, we live in a world that there is a spirit behind those sons of darkness who want to reject the gospel. But it's not rooted in a thinking pattern. It's not in a rational decision-making, but it's in a deep-seated, conflictual, war-torn loathing of the message. You're going to ask me to do what? No way. Two, they don't believe in the truth, but notice that. They take pleasure in unrighteousness. There's something addictive about power. There's something addictive about carrying an AR-15 down the street. 
They love that sense of power. And that sense of power is destroying people. Three, as a consequence of this rejection, God sends a delusion on those who resist and so that they do not, so that they believe in error. Some typos there. So, but God's going to say, if you're going to reject, okay, I'm going to let you continue on in your illusion, delusion, deception. Concerning you, Christian, you Thessalonians, Paul said something. Don't worry. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, these guys are saying uh, it's not going to happen. Or it's already happened. They're going to disturb you and give you a falsehood. If you're not clear and listening to the voice of the Spirit or in the Scriptures, you may be also led astray. But he said to these guys, do not become easily unsettled or alarmed. By the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy, word of mouth, or letter. So I changed that. Can I do that? So I, I paraphrase Paul's words for you and for me. What Paul says concerning the coming of Christ, we want you to become aware and we want you to be prepared and you're, you're going to be solid. You don't have to worry. Christian, you don't have to worry if you are aware and prepared that you don't have to succumb to this fear or this pressure. But when you have intellectual people and philosophical people understand that their their errors and their direction of their thinking is rooted in a warfare against the truth. Now, Paul says they do not trust because they cannot trust because they vote never to get near it. And therefore, What you've got here in the Thessalonians, you have these two realms. You've got this realm of the old age, the old from Adam on, and you've got this new age where Christ is introducing the kingdom. You've got people who are sinners, but in Christ you become saints. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been brought back into the kingdom. In Adam, before, in Christ today, before it's flesh-oriented, now we are spiritually-oriented. But in the old realm, Satan's domain was only outside the garden. I mean, he influenced, but his real dominion is on earth. And when Jesus, right before he went to the cross, he said, the ruler of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. But for you as Christians, and for me, God has lots, or Satan has lots of things he can pull on. And therefore, we need to be prepared and therefore, as you get into this, the last part of this First uh, Thessalonians, you, you need to hear what God wants you to know is that he wants you to have these attitudes while we, we, we hope for Christ's coming. And so he says in Matthew 24 and 25, that's the passages we studied uh, last week, is that we have to worship we, we expect, we look for the coming of the Lord, but we also have to watch and keep the oil in our lamps. In other words, we have to be prepared, but we're waiting, we're looking, we're, we're anticipating. Some of you are going to have people over for Thanksgiving. And in your preparations, you're cleaning the house and getting food ready, and, but you're anticipating, and they're coming, and so you know they're coming, and therefore you 
practically do things to get ready. The last thing is you have to work. And that's the parable of the talents. It says we're going to do these things and therefore while all these things are going on, you keep being responsible. You be a good citizen. You don't challenge the government. You don't join QAnon conspiracy groups. You, you stay away from the unruly anti-heroes, but you are a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And that's the mark of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when you, believer, understand that you can handle these things, a mighty fortress is our God, and you stay right with him, you won't be deceived. And we understand that river is a glorious river and you have perfect peace. You can handle the threats. You can handle the persecutions. You can handle the tensions because you are not duped. And therefore you rest. You rest as you war and bring people by your own story. Therefore you witness. We are to be... uh, Gracious and people, because, notice what he says in Second Thess, uh, we ought to always give thanks for all of you, brothers and sisters, loved by God, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through that belief in the truth, because he called you through this, uh, to, by the gospel, that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus. And God will, by the grace and love, encourage your hearts. So no matter who attacks you, no matter who threatens you, no matter what kind of tribulation you go through, you can handle it. Don't be disturbed. Don't be weak. Don't be fooled. Because God's hope is coming in Christ. And when he comes, he's going to take care of the anti-hero. He's going to take care of the Antichrist. He will take care of all those sons of darkness who need to be brought into the kingdom of life. That's the Lord's doing. But you be strong. You stand up. You fly the flag. You talk about grace. You talk about the gospel. Be alert, Peter said, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I changed that one too. Be alert and be of sober mind. You are Jesus. The Lord pursues like a victorious lion looking to destroy the deceiver and the antichrist. He may use you as you, as you do that, as you confront him. Therefore, we don't call you, you're not a hero, but you're a saint. And it's kind of corny to say that Jesus is my hero, but we say Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Neither are you. Christian, stand up. Fight that battle. Be smart. Don't back down. But you engage with the hope, for people don't have any hope to get out of the clutches of the lion who's devouring them. So for us, again, Paul would say, don't, overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but you, Christian, you can overcome and be a hero to somebody, at least for the next generation. We're setting the pace. We're winning the war. That's our call. And that's why Paul wrote First and Second Thess, so that they wouldn't be deceived or disgruntled or move away from Christ. Boy, we need to hear this message.
So pass on the word. Strengthen your brothers. Encourage those who need to know more. Take action. Protect. Because you care. Let's pray. The Holy Spirit, I just pray now that somehow that wisdom from above, when we hear the TV news and just the negativity and the hatred that's there, Lord, would you touch us to free us to be people of peace? You said that the peacemakers are the sons of God. So Lord, give us that ability to be gracious to all those who don't know you. Give us that ability to be gracious to all those who do know you. But Father, we pray more than anything that as we take our refuge in you, that you would be the one that goes before us and you get the honor because you are the one we worship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.